one of the things we've seen is that, you know, practices and how people shop have changed. It's not just during the day in the middle of the week. People are ordering from home, but they're also working slightly different hours and they want to go out and shop. We've got to figure out ways to maintain some form of physical retail presence. And some of the way we do that is by actually expanding the hours which they operate as well. So there's a big chunk there of work to do, but I think it's a really exciting kind of period of time where we can just look at everything again with fresh eyes and go, well, do we need to do it as we did in the past? Welcome to The Neon Grid. I'm your host, Michael Rodriguez. Much of my time in government has been spent helping the sector navigate the unruly trading conditions created by COVID. There's been a real and very necessary emphasis on short-term government relief. But the 24-hour economy strategy I've been asked to deliver is about a long-term vision for Sydney. Yes, that includes the city goers of today, but what about the going out audiences of the future? What will they want to do? What will excite them? And how do we shape the environment to permit full engagement by those who might not necessarily be represented at industry and government events? Let's face it, sitting around council meetings and participating in roundtables tends to be dominated by other demographics. Bucking the trend is today's guest, Councillor Dylan Parker. Dylan joined Randwick Council five years ago, and in December, he was elected mayor, aged just 30. Amazing. Councillor Parker has just announced a series of proposals aiming to transform his Eastern Sydney council area into a new hub for all the stuff we love, food and drink, arts, culture and nightlife. All that, 26 kilometres of pristine coastline and a world-class uni to boot. I want to hear about Dylan's plan to make this happen in a way that excites Sydney siders about a sometimes underappreciated part of this great city. I also want to pick his brain on how millennials and Gen Z can play a more active role in civic life and in so doing, help us usher forward a new generation of going out experiences and behaviours. Welcome, Councillor Parker, or Mayor Parker, I'm going to refer to you all the way through this interview, to the Neon Grid podcast. It's the first one of 2022, and it's a pleasure to have you as our guest today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Exciting topic. Yeah, we are prompted to leap at the opportunity to interview you because recently you were talking about, I guess, plans for plans for nightlife or going out in, in your city council area. But I think for some context, uh, council elections were last December, if I'm right, and they'd been delayed and pandemic for all of us has been challenging. So you're in for a term now, um, and I think it's a bit of a shorter term, if I'm right, because council elections will be two and a half years away, if I've got that correct. Yep. To somebody. September 2024. But I think- um, um, before we get into the nitty gritty of you know vision or thinking around Randwick, I guess I just want to know a little bit about the man and what what's excited you particularly around this agenda? Uh, is it in your personal background, in you, the way you live your life? Like what's motivated you around this this particular issue? Yeah, look, thank thank you firstly just for having me on. But when we talk about this topic, I was uh, having a think on the on the way in here as to what what brought me to all things twenty four hour economy and, and nightlife is, but more generally arts and culture. And I think to be honest, it, it it's via osmosis through my family background. I've got a stepfather who is a uh, long time actor. My uh, stepmother is a, an artist and a, a painter. My sister is a ceramicist. Uh, I'm a a, a failed uh, childhood saxophonist. 
Christ uh, <laughs> trying to have a go uh, on the sacks as well. So, look, I think uh, to some extent it's it's definitely in the blood. Uh, when I got elected uh, to council, I um, I was 25 uh, and I looked around. Uh, it's a horseshoe at Ramwick. And one of the observations, no, no aspersions on, on my colleagues, but just a, a statement of fact was that I was a good 20 to 25 uh, years younger than all of my colleagues, which gave me a rather different uh perspective, but also life experiences. And uh, it kind of brought me here because, you know, someone who's 25 elected to council loves the bit of Sydney, uh, which I represent, but went, okay, what are we missing? And it's something which is, you know, rather important to young people, which is nightlife. And I I looked at that and I said, look, there's there's, there's space for growth here. Let's see what we can do. It's uh, interesting insight that around, I guess, your family background potentially and uh, would you see yourself as a bit of a black sheep then going into or do your family see you as a black sheep going into into politics uh, or is that an extension of that artist within? Or oh, look, it's definitely a rebellion in in some way. I mean, look for a little bit about about my family. My dad was a um, a small business and involved in art supplies, but before he got into that, he was also um, a an environmental campaigner. So it is in the family in that regard. Uh, but on the greeny side, and my mother could only be described as a small C conservative. Um, I think she was uh, probably so. Uh, some background about me: I'm half. Uh, a black American, and I reckon she was probably the only black American uh, to have voted for George Bush in 2004. <laughs> so so we get all sides uh, in the family. But uh, for me, my childhood rebellion was definitely labor and, and progressive politics there. Uh, but actually getting involved in elected life is very, very different. What drew me there was going, well, look, I have a, a lot of views. I, I, I really care about community service. Uh, but rather than griping in the sidelines, roll up the sleeves and see what, see what I can do. It's got its challenges. Uh, I'm not going to say that it's all, all roses and, and uh, super exciting all of the time. Sometimes it's being on the receiving end of some grumpy people, but um, th- that's life and, and that's really elected life as well. Coming into my role, like I've got that Roosevelt quote up, which talks about being in the stands uh, or the gladiator on the field and uh, and rolling up your sleeves and and, and joining the fray uh, stands you, uh, all of us, to some level of criticism at times. But once you're in it, you kind of have respect for those who've gone before. But I, I want to seize just upon the age discussion for a, a bit. And I, I recall uh, my one of my first um, entries into I guess advocacy was being invited to speak to a a committee for Sydney event. And I think I was aged 40 at the time. And I said to the room, I said, the problem with this discussion is I think I'm the youngest person in it. And we're trying to make decisions for a generation or two away. And so I'm keen to um, go back to that observation that you've had around uh, the discussion you identified at age 25 and now a little bit older and in hmm. a position, I think, of some influence, in particularly in, in your local area. Do you, do you see that in a demo, there's a demographic shift uh, in, in your, your electorate maybe or across Sydney and that uh, there's a, either an underrepresentation by, uh, you, you know, the youth of today or, or the next generation at all and and – you know, any advice for people that might be looking to try and make an impact or, or, or roll up the sleeves? Because sometimes it's a bit of opaque as to know how to get involved, I think. Yeah, totally. Look, two points. The first one, and I think you really hit the nail on the head, 40 in a room full of individuals and you may be the youngest one there. What's interesting, so I'm no longer the youngest mayor in New mm. South Wales. I've been pipped by, from my understanding, the mayor of Ryde, but I was for a couple of months. But So I'm 30 
And I look at that and I go, it's actually not surprising in my view that I'm you know, a 30-year-old mayor. I think it's more surprising that there aren't more 30-year-old mayors. Right. And the reason why I think it's quite surprising is you look at it and you have young people who are passionate, who are active out in the community, who are fighting for issues which will impact them. Uh, and they're not necessarily represented in elected office. Um, I think there are some structural reasons as to why that is, but it's also a matter of ambition. Uh, and I look at it and I go, what really drew me is, as was um, you know, mentioned, is you know, decisions are happening over there which impact me. I want to have some say on that and and for anyone who is passionate about you know politics passionate about you know what their community looks like the, the world which they are going to inherit uh, then it really you know it, it pays to actually be there at the table and you know bringing it home to um, to 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 all things after dark at a council level uh, it, it was when I got elected it was like parks and rec we were talking about open spaces development applications, playgrounds. These are all very important, valuable things, but it isn't the whole p- portrait. And councils, state parliaments, you know, federal parliaments, they all make decisions which impact, you, you know, the whole range of, um, of, of people in different walks of life. You need to actually have a diversity of representation there. Um, if you wanted some advice from me as to if you're a young person having a listen to this going, oh, look, I could have a you know a shot at this the advice i would have is you you actually do bring life experience and you do bring perspectives which are not necessarily being represented uh, it was definitely a, a nagging doubt in my mind going well what would i know as compared to all of the other candidates or all the other you know more senior staff or who i'm engaging with and and part of it is perspective you will bring a different set of life experiences to, um, uh, you know, other generations. We, you know, we, uh, I, I was quipping earlier before our recording, saying, you know, I'm part of the the lockout generation, where, you know, decisions made by fifty year olds and and sixty year olds completely overnight changed the face of Sydney as we enjoyed it and as we experienced it, and we didn't really have any input on that. Um, and I look at that and I go, well, look, you, you know, politics is complicated. It's hard, but you've got to have somebody who represents a constituency and there's no reason why it can't be a young person, especially if your voters will agree with you. And that tended to be my experience. People said, you know, oh God, it's really nice having a, a fresh perspective here and a, um, a, you know, a new set of eyes because people get into bad habits as well. Mm, I think that happens, doesn't it? And speaking of bad habits, I, one thing that I give some time thinking to in my role is the impact of the pandemic on different demographics. And so if you look at the going out landscape where those with cash have a degree of access, those without don't have the same degree of access, and then you impose a pandemic on it, you end up starting to think about, well, who's a city for and who who who's able to enjoy it? And I guess looking at um, your own area, if we talk about uh, Randwick in particular for time. Recently, as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, you talked about um, a, a new vision for uh, nightlife or going out in Ramwick. Do you want to just sort of maybe in your own words explain 
like what you see. We've touched on it in terms of where it was, but like what, what do you sort of see? You've been around this for a while. I think you set up a advisory, nightlife advisory group or chaired it some time back. So it's not it's not a new idea in a sense. You've been at it, but now you're in a position and you're sort of making some commitment. Do you just want to articulate what you, what you can sort of see ahead of you? Oh, totally. Look, I think one of the things I would say in terms of where, where I'd like to see us go is first to get an idea of one where we were and then, you know, where we are. Uh, and then, and then, where I think it'd be a great idea for us to be heading. Look, when I got elected, you know, it was very much a business as usual council, which we understood. I set up a nighttime advisory committee. That the main thing which I thought was really important around that is it wasn't about you know as an elected official or for that matter planners or, or bureaucrats driving the agenda, but it was actually getting some people who lived, worked in the industry who who knew. Uh, uh, all things 24-hour economy well and to give us the feedback. And what was really quite interesting is the committee just had a life of its own. Mm. I sat there, opened the meeting, and then off it went. Um, and I kind of – because people were passionate about it. It was, you know, their bread and butter. There were small business owners there, small bar owners. There were individuals from the live music office. There was the university. There was Fringe Festival. And it became an ongoing brainstorming session as to ways where we can improve – are part of Sydney, it really took a life of its own. In some ways, it was a, a bit of a group therapy session of people venting their frustrations, but also their hopes and their aspirations for a city. But I also think that's really important because it gives us an idea of going, well, you know, what's the impossible that we can imagine? And then, you know, how do we chart half the way there or, or whatever? So uh, that's how it got rolling. There was a, a, a fantastic study which came out of it with far too many uh, actions uh, to go through here. Uh, and then council started chipping away very slowly at it over time. Boring, bureaucratic speak, but very important. Bringing it to the pandemic, I think it is a really interesting time to be re-looking at everything with mm. fresh eyes because, as you mentioned, uh, almost how we do everything uh, um, has changed. You, you know, travel patterns um, have changed. Uh, people used to get in, get on the bus in the morning, stay into the, in the CBD, uh, you know, for work and then stay and drink after dark. Now people are local, um, but they still want to go out. They still want to enjoy their backyard and they're finding there isn't uh, that much there. Add on the complications of, you know, struggles for staff. Um, and it, it is an interesting uh, set of circumstances, but challenges are also in some ways an opportunity for a bit of a reset. Um, I look at it and I go, everyone's had their world turned upside down. We can figure out going, all right, well, we've had two years doing things differently. Um, do we revert back to business as usual or do we you know, keep the good bits, which we like, and build on some of the others? I look at it and I go, um, one of the great things which we've really um, tried and rolled out is shared streets, for example. Um Coogee Bay Road down near, you know, the iconic Coogee, there was a trial for um, several months, uh, taking back some of the street for uh, expanded outdoor dining, you know, ostensibly it was under the, you know, safety measures for COVID. Uh, but what we also found is it was a more enjoyable street space uh, during the day, uh, but also at night. And here is an area of Sydney that, you, you know, has been dominated by a an anchor institution from nightlife, which is the Coogee Bay Hotel for its good publicity and its bad publicity. Yeah. Uh, but um, it actually 
um, by expanding the street, you had quite a diverse nighttime ecosystem that popped up. You know, there was live music, which was um, operating down there. The businesses quite liked it. Um, And it was an interesting experiment, which we were able to do because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And would I be able to say, you know, would we have, you know, taken a significant chunk of the street because uh, under business as usual? I'm not sure about that, um, but it's a, it's a good opportunity there. What I'd like to see is us to keep building on it. So things like all of the ex- out- expanded outdoor dining, which happens at day and night, keep it. It seems to work. It's worked for the last two years. Uh, we can do that. Another thing, uh, more retail trading. Uh, one of the, uh, especially later into the night, uh, one of the things we've uh, seen uh, is that you know practices and how people shop have changed. It's not just during the day in the middle of the week. People are ordering from home, but they're also working slightly different hours and they want to go out and shop. We've got to figure out ways to you know, maintain some form of physical retail presence. Uh, and, and some of the way we do that is by actually expanding the hours which they operate as well. So th- there's a big chunk there of, of work to do, but I think it's a really exciting kind of period of time where we can just look at everything again with fresh eyes and go, well, do we need to do it as we did in the past? And just on the big chunk of work, and I think that things like our fresco and uh, extension of retail hours are, you know, they're, they're, they're good initiatives. And what we're thinking is if it's working, how do we make it more permanent at, at a state level, like with the levers that we have? But for listeners and people from industry listen to this, in terms of the big task, in terms of council instruments, for example, Parramatta Council has just announced it's and put out for exhibition its late night trading development control plan like there's no doubt and there's a nighttime economy strategy like there's these pieces of kit that you kind of need like is that what you you mean with the the big tasks and what what are they in your context for for um for ramwick like what what things do you need um to get done in the next three years well look to give you an idea just tonight we're doing one big chunk of our um, of our strategy piece, uh, and that is our economic development strategy. We're putting that in place tonight, uh, and part of it is it sets you know tangible, measurable targets that council actually need to meet in terms of uh, measuring our performance and there is a whole section for the first time uh, on uh, on the 24-hour economy uh, putting things like encouraging um, additional nighttime spending across our city yeah. uh, and th- that's a target so we're looking at it and we're going um, uh, we're we're down 20 percent um, on our nighttime uh, spending from pre-pandemic levels, it's it's building upon where we were up to uh, in the past, and then improving on that. So, getting at least an additional ten to fifteen percent nighttime spending there, putting in future DCPs, noise attenuation measures for new town centres, because that's always a challenge. You know, you've had a restaurant or a small bar or a, a music venue that has been uh, part of of the furniture of an area mm. for years. A new residential development pops up next door and the neighbours start complaining and it's already uh, under pressure there. So uh, they're the kind of um, more technical pieces which we've got, but also it's about looking what works uh, across a range of uh, other local government areas, looking at the toolkit that's being rolled out um, at, from the New South Wales government as well and trying to pick the eyes out of all of all of the good good bits which are, which are there. We, we've got uh, the nighttime economy um, component of our economic strategy coming up but also things like developing food truck policies so that we can activate our parks at Heffron Park. We've been trialling it for the last 
year having food trucks pop up at some of our courts. And it's it's a raging success. And it's looking at policies where we can encourage that um, across the city, um, a busking policy, implementing that in the coming in the coming months, as well as expanding on our, um, our paid performers who we actually have across our town centres. Uh, we've ran it across uh, two summers now and making that a permanent fixture as well. It's really exciting to hear you talk. And for people listening, I think it's good to identify just the amount of work that you're kind of signing yourself up for in a sense, because these it's kind of a bit, um, you're asking me for about 24-hour economy, nighttime economy. There's an element of, um, it's in the public focus now, particularly because of the pandemic, but uh, from the amount of work that you need to go through, either at state government level, has been a three-year journey so far and with more to come, and is, is, is kind of equally is reflected in the work that councils are taking on. And um, one observation I've had and feedback that's come from the investment community, which is uh, is that these are great signals to the investment communities that both um, government at all levels is backing a particular vision for an area. Uh, one sort of fly in the ointment sometimes is how uh, a mix of residents might react to uh, a bold vision. Uh, so you've, you've got a vision for your area and is everyone on board or are some people complaining about a saxophone and maybe that's not such a good thing? Do residents see the, the world that you see or is there a difference of opinion? Look, there are really enjoyable parts of being a mayor of a, a very tightly knit community. Uh, the benefits are, I would say, that you know they're very close. Uh, but what it also also means is that people feel comfortable contacting you when they don't like something. Uh, like any council across Sydney, across New South Wales, you have entrenched uh, residents groups, uh, which you know have a particular. Uh, sense of ownership over their streets, over their communities, as how they want to, you know, see their city grow and, and develop. Uh, but to be totally fair, they tend to represent, you know, a certain demographic. And all I would say is they don't necessarily look like me. They don't necessarily look like a younger person or someone who is more interested in a vibrant nightlife. And that's not a criticism on anyone. It's just to say that generally the types of community groups which will kick up a stink about noise issues around activating places aren't strictly representative of the community at large. It's it's, a, it's actually a difficult thing to say at some, some point, uh, but it's also important to acknowledge that you can actually get trapped in a bit of an echo chamber. And one thing which I found really refreshing is by talking about issues such as this, that you can actually bring the community along with you if you if you put the pros of a more vibrant and diverse nightlife, uh, not just to you, you know younger people, not just to business owners, but to residents who also look at it and they go, oh well, you know, don't have a raging you know bar next to my house, uh, but you can actually push put to people saying you, you know shared streets later in the evening are actually safer streets because you have a range of um, people and and demographics which are out. Um, a diversity of nighttime offerings means that people aren't always shoved into massive beer barns uh, and stumbling out at three in the morning because they look at it and they go, well, actually, you know what? I didn't want to pack in like sardines at a venue. I actually only wanted to go for to a restaurant or go to a show and then, you, you know, have, have a drink after. And when you explain that to people, some will go, no, 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 under no circumstances. But others go, well, you look, actually, it sounds like you, we do share some interests uh, and, and I am open to it. But I, I think it is important to acknowledge that, in 
not all instances, the people who will be coming to you saying, look, you know, I hate this thing or I think it's, you know, the worst worst proposal ever are going to be reflective of the community. And I've had so many people who say, look, actually, I really appreciate the fact that, yes, it's complicated. Yes, there is a lot of moving parts here, but at least we have um, local governments and governments talking about a policy issue and a space which I care about, which is a vibrant, you know, livable city. Can I, can I ask you um, specifically around the LGA and the unique aspects of Randwick, um, which you might just outline maybe in your response, like the geographical definition a bit for, to, for listeners. Um, but I, I'm going to frame it a little bit this way. Uh, I was and not set up for today, but did the Malabar headland walk um, yesterday evening. Um, it was amazing and even getting rained on uh, didn't dampen the spirits. Um, but it, you reminded, I'm reminded how, how blessed Sydney is with just this different topography and different experiences on our doorstep that people travel the world for. Like in terms of your geographical um, area, like what are the USPs? There's a university, there's, you know, a rail corridor that's got, Trams running down, like you know, what what what's sort of going to make um, Ramwick pop when it comes to you know, for example, telling its story to international visitors or tourists in time? Like, I think Ramwick has so many unique selling points, which our community um, would would happily spruik to the rest of the world. Which, um, look, I love other bits of Sydney, but you know, as a, as a mayor, yes, I can be a bit parochial, but you know, I would honestly write saying, look, I think it is one of the most beautiful and dynamic parts of Sydney in plenty of ways. You have a major anchor tenant with the university. You have a significant health precinct. You have a nearly 26 kilometres of coastline, which are the envy of not just, you know, all the rest of Sydney, but, you know, all of New South Wales. You've got the iconic Coogee Beach. You've got a phenomenal Maroubra Beach. You've got, as you mentioned, um, the uh, uh, beautiful Malabar headland, as well as um, the iconic La Perouse headland with so much history tied up into it. This is all a beauty and a history and a colour of an area. What I, what I think we're missing is that nighttime component. You you package up all of the natural beauty, all of the history of that particular area, and you tie that to a thriving arts and culture, thriving nighttime, nightlife um, uh, scene at Ramwick. And I, I, you know, hazard to guess that no bit of Sydney could beat it. And I think it's a real draw card because it really has all of the combinations. Um, it, it does have its challenges though. And why I look at it and I think it's important to acknowledge the challenges is you go, I go, if you can crack Ramwick, you can pretty much crack most parts of Sydney mm. because you've got long-term established heritage suburbs in the north. You've got, you, you know, quiet suburban streets in, in the south. You've got diverse town centres um, as well. But along Anzac Parade um, from about Centennial Park down to where uh, the old Nineways used to be in Kingsford, there is an area which has, you know, because of, you know, uh, several years of light rail construction, then, you know, the double whammy with COVID on top, there is a significant amount of business attrition along there. And I look at that and I go, look, that is, you know, very hard for local small businesses. The students haven't been there, but it's also a fresh opportunity. 
and there really is an ability there to, you, you know, literally just kilometres from the heart of the CBD. So, you, you know, we can make this a thriving hub. And from an, from a, you know, unique selling points, you've got a university right there. You've got a hospital right there. Uh, you've got a port and an airport. We're, we're really right on Sydney's, you, you know, gateway. Um, and rather than heading into the city, there's so much beauty right here, so much um, to offer. And you throw in a thriving nights and uh, a nighttime scene as well. And you know why would you go anywhere else? Yeah, no, it genuinely is quite exciting. And I think uh, uh, one thing I'm trying to get into the collective consciousness of nighttime economy practitioners in Sydney, and is that we often reference London and New York when we're talking about nighttime economy. Neither of which cities are reputed for their pristine coastlines and beaches and beach culture. And I just think it's a gap in our storytelling of our own city. And and because our reference points for this potentially place like Mexico and Rio when it comes to nightlife in coastal areas, for example, and it just is, um, you know, amazing and exciting to have this conversation. I also like um, – the, the retail uh, observation that and really keen to see how you know those trials go because as nighttime economies come to life that diversification away from uh, one type of entertainment which is sometimes in the past trended towards you know alcohol uh, may actually be an opportunity for a struggling retail sector and I get that there's penalty rates and all the challenges that might go with that but um, maybe it isn't the best decision to open at nine in the morning and maybe opening at, you know, two in the afternoon and trading through to 10 um, is is if the flexibility is there from the regulatory bodies, then maybe that is something that adds to the overall experience of a, an evening out. I was running around Martin Place the other night and saw a, something that was open for, to trade in the evening, which is just probably because there's more people out in enjoying the city as an entertainment district now as opposed to the corporate, you know, use it's had in the past. So I'm really kind of keen to see what you you, you, you deliver up for us. Um, and uh, and just want to talk a little bit about um, arts and culture specifically. Um, it's a bit of a subset of the conversation track we've been on, but, you know, you did describe it as Newtown of the East because I think that the – uh, which, which is kind of a nice compliment to Newtown as well, I think, and we should call that out as an uh, area that has thrived through lockout and you know, there's a lot of community management of decisions around who should come to the area and party buses being turned away. Like, There's a lot to take from that example because, of course, there wasn't uh, an increase in violence that many people fear would happen notwithstanding the increase in footfall. So nice compliment to say Newtown of the East. But, you know, because I think creative communities are looking for homes and, like, what's the attraction and how do you see arts and culture in particular coming to life in, in your area? Why I think that local arts and culture is so important is because it gives people a reason to actually come. So you, you look at it and you go, restaurants are all across Sydney. There's, there's not a suburb in Sydney, you know, bar some very industrial ones, which doesn't have a restaurant. There, there isn't a, a suburb in Sydney that doesn't have, have a bar or a pub of some sort. But it's, it's about bringing people to an area uh, where there is a diversity of offerings. So w- one of the things which I think is um, a real challenge, but something, you know, once again, is an opportunity to work on, with, with the exception of NIDA, th- there isn't a single theatre in in Ramwick City Council, we've got uh, we've got one uh, cinema, which is a beautiful uh, Art Deco cinema, the Ritz, and is much loved by our community. But if you want people to 
if, if you want small bar owners or beautiful restaurants or diversity of retail as well, you, there needs to be a variety of offerings. People don't normally just come and do one thing and then leave. They want to do a range of things. And, and I look at it and I go, arts and culture is the special source to some extent that uh, – that, that puts it all together. Um, I know, for example, me and my partner, we like to um, go to, to Marrickville uh, and I love Lazy Bones, but I don't just go to Lazy Bones. I'll go see, you know, I'll go see a gig there, but I'll also go to dinner. I'll, uh, you, you know, I might see what else is on earlier in the afternoon or whatever it is. And then you spend a period of time there. Uh, and I look at that and I go, well, you know, credit to the inner west, I guess. And you go, you've got a Ramwick man that's traveling in order to do that. But for me, I look and I go, I don't want to have to travel. As much as I love that part of Sydney, I'd much rather enjoy it uh, at home. And for me, I'm traveling uh, for the arts and culture component. And if you can give that to people at home, uh, then hopefully you'll get um, the rest of it. Locally, there is um, there's still a lot of opportunity there. Like you look at the institutions uh, which we have, we've got NIDA there. There's also some you know beautiful historical spots which can be activated. I was in a conversation with um, a, a gentleman from NIDA about you know activating the La Perouse Museum, which has a fantastic, uh, beautiful um, history, um, which is you know tied to a variety of different uses, but also you know interest groups. And you go well, you know it doesn't just have to be a museum it can have a variety of uses there which will keep people locally yeah and i think it's uh, the storytelling aspect isn't it like the, the thing that where it's influenced our thinking uh, around delivery of the 24-hour economy strategy in that when government new south wales government is looking at grants programs for in this space we're looking at the flow through impact of the spend into small businesses in the area and also artists and creatives in and from the area uh, because I think if you don't have that lens, what you end up with is a homogeneity of offering because you can if you, just one thing that you're doing in one place is just transported to another because the same operators are, are you know bringing their second and third venue to life where it's just great but also what's good is when people who – want to have their own story and can tell it in their local area. It makes it exciting for the rest of us. So, well, looking forward to the discussion on La Perouse. And, and again, I think it's something for us as government to be thinking about is investments and funding in the areas of cultural infrastructure, if we can call it that. And are these located across the city or are they concentrated in one area? And, you know, that's one thing that I think there'll be some reflections on as part of the 24-hour economy strategy and hopefully other government agencies can work together to help with some of those initiatives. We've been having a really good discussion about all things nightlife, 24-hour economy in Randwick City Council with the second youngest mayor as it currently stands. Not grumpy about that at all. <laughs> Happens to all of us, hey? Like, yeah. don't worry. It only goes downhill from here. I'm the youngest 24-hour economy commissioner. I should just put that out there. <laughs> the only one as well. <laughs> but either way. Take it where you can. Someone else will beat my record in time, I hope. I'm just going to wrap with a couple of questions, Dylan, if that's all right. So- the first is, COVID has thrown us a lot of challenges, but also opportunities to reimagine Sydney. What's one opportunity that excites you the most? It's an ability to take back our streets. I look at it and I go, if people aren't travelling, there's all of this unused road space, really, and people have been walking around their city. They've gone, actually, they've fallen in love with it, and they've gone, how can we reimagine our streets in a way that is livable, is breathable, and as well as exciting, where you can have 
all the arts, the culture, the entertainment right there on uh, normal suburban streets. I look at that and I go, that's a phenomenal opportunity, as well as just looking at it going, so much of our city is dedicated to cars. Can we take some of it back and give it to outdoor entertainment? The 24-hour economy strategy contains this idea of a neon grid, which is how Sydney lights up at different times of the day and night across the great metropolitan. With that in mind, what's one experience of your area that you would most like to share with others? My view, and it's not going to come as a surprise to anyone, is everyone's drawn to our area because of the beach. We've got phenomenal beaches, Coogee, Maroubra. Uh, my you know, great dream is that if people come for the beach, they stay at the beach, they stay for dinner, uh, they stay for a show. I look at it and you go, you start your day at Coogee. Um, spend spend the day there. Go have um, a you know a bite to eat. Stay at the beach, and then in the evening when the sun sets, you you know you're up the hill to the spot. You're at a small bar. You're at back country, my local favourite, and then you roll out after a few martinis across the Ritz, and then you've seen a movie over there. Um, hopefully, we can see that all across the area. But that, that's what I would say would be a classic Ramwick experience. Uh, it's uh, a great way to wrap up a podcast and uh, it, and your uphill journey uh, from Coogee Bay to the spot is somewhat in contrast to my downhill journey from UNSW where I did my study to the Coogee Bay on, on, a, on a more regular basis than I like to admit. Um, Dylan, thanks so much for your good work um, and the civic service that you provide uh, and I look forward to seeing the great things that will come under your leadership in your council area. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Neon Grid Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. To get involved with our efforts to reimagine Sydney's 24-hour economy, sign up to the Neon Grid newsletter. You'll find that on the Investment New South Wales website, which is at investment.nsw.gov.au, or hit the link in the show notes. You can also follow me, your host, Michael Rodriguez, on LinkedIn. And as always, carpe noctum.